I have another guest episode coming at you today, and I loved this conversation. I've got a powerhouse with me today. Her name is Eleanor Beaton, and she's the founder of Safi Media, which is an education and coaching company for women entrepreneurs. Safi Media is committed to advancing global gender equity, one woman-owned business at a time. And together with her colleagues, Eleanor is on a mission to double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past 1 million in revenue by 2030 using her Jewel business model. She is also the host of the Anchored Intelligent Podcast, which I have become obsessed with. So after you listen to this, go over there and check that out. It's a top-rated podcast for female founders with over 1.6 million downloads to date. We had such a great conversation, and it just really makes me excited when I get to have these types of conversations with other powerhouse women who are out there making a difference And honestly, who are just down to earth and really fun to talk to. So I hope that you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Grab your notebook. Trust me, you're going to want to write some things down. And if you love this podcast and you want to hear more like this, be sure to tag me on Instagram. Send me a DM and take 30 seconds to go leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to this because every time you leave those reviews and those ratings, it helps push this podcast to more and more people and that's how we're going to grow. You're listening to the Limitless Life Podcast, helping you simplify mindset and energetics by giving you easy-to-use strategies that'll help you ditch the self-sabotage and move through resistance so you can create your limitless life and business. I'm your host, Brenna Johnston, and as a subconscious mindset strategist, I've learned over the years how to make the deep transformational work even easier and far more effective. So join me weekly for new episodes and get ready to step into your highest potential. Okay, before we dive into this episode, I just want to let you know that the fall applications for my exclusive three-month one-on-one expansion coaching, they're now open. Spots are open for September. I usually take six clients, but this fall I'm only opening up four spots and one of them is already taken. So if you've been finding yourself feeling a bit stuck, you've plateaued, leveled off in one or more areas of your life or business, maybe you're just feeling like you're constantly doing more to have more. I've been there. It sucks. And it's leaving you feeling overwhelmed and exhausted and burnt out because you feel like you're in this spiral and your monkey mind is all over the place and you don't even know where to start, then let me help you go from feeling like that to feeling grounded and clear and having a clear vision and opening up to possibilities that you didn't even think were possible for you. If that even excites you in a little way, I'm telling you, three months is all it takes to have massive shifts and transformations in your life. This does not need to be hard. It's why I've developed my signature expansion technique, which takes whole brain activation, subconscious repatterning, and somatic healing and mushes it all together because you don't need to keep talking about all the things. You need somebody to help you release some things from your body so you can move forward. So hit apply. The link is in the show notes, or you can check out the link in my bio on Instagram. Or if you have questions, just shoot me a DM. Let's have a conversation about this. Now, 
let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Limitless Life podcast, or if you're new here, welcome. I have a guest with me today, Eleanor Beaton, and I'm very excited to have you here today. I have been binging your content since I found out about you, so it's probably been over a month. I'm obsessed with the things you're putting out there, and I knew I needed to have you on the show, so welcome. I'm so honored to be here, and I can't wait to dive in. Oh, I'm excited. One of the main reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is I have always been a very driven person. I'm not afraid of getting shit done. I'm not afraid of taking action. But a few years ago, I found myself, and if I'm being honest, I'm just really coming out of this now. I -hmm. found myself in this weird space of feeling bad for being a driven woman with all the anti-hustle culture out there. And, oh, if you're doing this, you're in your masculine energy and you're not in your feminine energy. And so I'm very inspired by women like you, women who are in business, you're a powerhouse, you're making a difference. And I want to expose more women to people like you. Your mission blew my mind. Your mission is literally to double the number of women-founded businesses that can sustainably scale past seven figures by 2030. Yes. Uh, yes is right. How, wh- how did, how did all of this happen? Where did that yeah. come from? Well, you know, I'm a former journalist, right? So I was a, I started my career, actually, I started in advertising and public relations, and then I moved into journalism. And so I was a business journalist. And that training is always about really ensuring that the people that you're holding, the people that you're talking to, to account in a very specific way. So, you know, I can remember coming back to the newsroom with stories where I didn't drill into what people were saying like a politician was sharing her vision for the future, or he was extolling what he was going to do. And if I didn't ask specifically what they meant by that, in many ways, I couldn't actually post the story. And so it was a, it was, you, it was not good practice to um, have a vision or have a plan, but not have any details behind it. So we're always looking to substantiate things. So when I think about the power of a vision, whether it's a personal vision or a business vision, that to me, I always think about like, if 20 million people benefited from your work, what kind of change would the world see? So that to me is the standard for your business vision or, you know, for any vision. So my business vision is to advance a model of growth that nourishes the planet one woman owned business at a time. Because I think, right, like current models of economic growth actually are quite depleting. And so in in order for us to reverse the damage that we've done to the planet and the way that impacts people, we need to rethink how we do business and how we do economic growth. So then I was like, okay, that's a great vision, but what would be the proof point? that all of the work that my team and I do every day, that the things that we're doing are actually moving the needle. And that's where the mission came. I would literally need to double the number of women founded businesses who sustainably scale past a million by 2030. That's a very specific thing. Now, those are like marching orders that we can work toward. And it governs things like who do we partner with? 
how, cause we can't do that through our coaching program. Like I can't do that s- s- simply through my mastermind, <laughs> you know? Okay. So it, it becomes the strategic tool to invite us to think about who do we partner with? How can we have a big impact? How can we shape policies and agendas? And, you know, so that's really where that model that that mission came from. It was through sort of this journalistic training to try to substantiate the big vision that I have to turn it into something that's actionable that we could actually be held accountable to. Mm, I love that. And so you were a writer and a journalist, and now you're a business coach for women entrepreneurs. So can you share like what were some of the pivotal moments that led you to this point and this success coming from yeah. that? Like yes, I know. Right? And you're like, I think I'm just going to stop Do being it. a journalist. Exactly. So I was a journalist. And when I um, started like really getting, like I'm 45. So I was doing this in the 2000s, right? And th- at that time, the writing was on the wall for what was happening in traditional media. And so I could see that and I could see that, you know, to have this long-term career as a journalist, newsrooms and and publications and outlets, I mean, National Geographic just laid off its whole staff, um, that those types of jobs, that, that entire industry was changing. Um, at the same time, I had this real desire for freedom and to not work for other people. So I decided to start a consulting business. So that was like the first business that I had after being a journalist, I was a consultant and I ran that business for like a decade and I was a communications consultant. And so I worked with leaders and CEOs to help them sort of shape their company's messages. I did speech writing. I was one of the country's top paid ghost writers. Um, And my whole specialty was like working with business leaders, working with organizations I believed in to help them kind of shape their lobby. It was all around how do you create a message that people care about? And it's not just what you say that actually it's a lot of it is like what you do. Like you have, you know, it's the offer Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the message, right? So I was doing this and I was at the same time doing, you know, community, like um, development programs with organizations who wanted to help their leaders become better uh, communicators So this was where, you know, I would do these leadership communication training programs. And very often at the leadership level, there were very few women around the table and they were coming to me after, and they were saying things like, do you think you could do some one-on-one coaching with me? And I was like, Ooh, no. Cause remember (laughs) (laughs) coaching used to be a thing that underemployed people did. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. Do you remember back at like when it for it's changed so much, like now we all have coaches and we're very familiar with the occupation, but it was not like that then. So anyway, so I was like, but they kept asking. And so I tried it. And so, um, I started working with women leaders generally. And, um, and I was, it it was all around really helping women leaders, whether you were running your own business or you're inside the corporate world, really understand how to position your ideas effectively to create the outcomes that you wanted. And, um, I started to, so I I built that business and I can remember I was getting increasingly burnt out because I wasn't niched down enough. 
And it was one Christmas and I was literally thinking I need to start another podcast so that one speaks to this group, one speaks to the other. Meanwhile, my family's in our house, like having a good time. And I was like, what am I doing? So I, I really analyzed who I was working with and, and how easy they were to sell to. And did I like the work that I was doing from them? And quite frankly, who was paying me the most money? And in my, for me, in my business at the time, like a third of my clients were entrepreneurs, but they were generating like 70% of my revenue. So just like that, I made the decision to stop serving corporate women, to refocus my attention specifically on entrepreneurs, to really help with positioning, offer creation and messaging, um, which are really like the core of getting more clients, you know, and, um, and that's how that this, you know, part of the business, this, this pivotal point, you know, to, to the work that I'm doing today happened. Mm, I love that. And it's funny when you said the coaching thing, cause I come from a corporate environment. I'm going to be 49 this year. I've seen a lot of shit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I remember back then they would say, oh, you have to, we want you to go for coaching, like leadership coaching. And I thought that was an insult. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like it was, Listen, like, so first of all, being a coach, like that was, that was just weird. And also like entrepreneurship. I mean, when I first started my first business, I used to get a lot of pitying looks because people, you know, at the time that in the early 2000s, it wasn't cool. The dot-com bubble had just burst. Yep. So owning your own business was what people who were underemployed did, you know? And so, so much has changed. I mean, I honestly, like we look amazing. I mean, no one would understand how old we actually are, but it's interesting. Like that feels like yesterday. Sometimes I'm just like, how, how am I, how am I 45? Right. How did this happen? I, same. I just had this conversation the other day. I was like, I don't understand how I'm going to be 49. This I'm going to be 50 next year. Right? How am I, I feel 25. 100, just way smarter. Yeah. Oh, so much oh, smarter. <laughs> so, so much smarter. I feel exact, but otherwise, other than that, I feel the same. Yeah. And it's all comes down to beliefs too, which is like my kind of realm. I remember people saying things like, oh, when you hit 40, it's just all going to go to shit. I'm like, yeah, if that's what you believe, then yeah. that's what's going to manifest in your life for you. Crazy. Hell no. Hell no. Yeah. So did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Like, were you surrounded by this type of thinking mm -hmm. or was this new for you? No. Yeah. It was totally new for me. So I really come from like a, um, a family of teachers, like, you know, profs, profs and economists, like profs, teachers, like it, usually in the field of economics, like that's kind of my sort of family lineage. So like advising, teaching, um, especially in the field of economics, that's my lineage. But, um, you know, entrepreneurship came to me through my husband. So I got married to Leon, my husband, when I was 23, we've been married a long time and, um, he is the youngest of, in a family of seven, they are farmers. His, um, mom was like a Dutch immigrant who came over, you know, after the second world war and they just went around across, I live in Canada, across Canada, like starting Canada. really successful farms. Let's go Canada. So. Um, so he was incredibly entrepreneurial and he, his oldest sister 
is a very successful entrepreneur. She has a jam company. Hmm. And so they were the ones who were sort of planting the seed with me to start my own business because my dad was a prof, like in, in our household, like profs, they, they have a fantastic lifestyle. Like if you're a tenured prof, you're making six figures and you get like lots of vacation. And so open time was this huge value. And as I started working, I could see that it was going to be very difficult for me to have open time, which was very important to me as a thought producer, like as a content producer and teacher, you got to have open time to think. And I didn't feel like I had that flexibility. So I, it was really through the influence of my husband and my sister-in-law that I started to consider potentially being an entrepreneur. And I fell in love with it from, you know, I was 24 when I started my first business, 25, and I have been an entrepreneur for 20 years and I love it. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Cause I think back now and I'm like, I just, can you even imagine yourself working, like doing what you did before? No, I, you know, I, I can't, I would have, I feel like I would have needed to become a, a really senior boss really fast. And I'm not sure that I had the inner confidence to show up the way that I would have needed mm. to do that, you know, like, yeah, I'm I not love sure that kind of fast comment. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, uh, people like to do things fast. I know money, the energy of money likes speed. I yeah. know you've talked about that, but I also think, and you've talked about this urgency and immediacy. Why do you think so many people these days underestimate the importance of urgency and immediacy, especially as an entrepreneur. Oh yeah. I mean, what I observed, what I have observed, I think a lot of it goes to COVID and the pandemic. You know, it was so interesting. Um, like even in the last sort of two to three years, we've been basically see, been seeing like epic levels of burnout. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think, you know, a situation like the pandemic, it really has a lot of people it's, it's, I mean, it was quite simply the biggest world shaping event since the second world war, you know, it mm. touched everybody. It, it was a, it was an experience that we shared globally. It was dramatic. Um, it will have impacts on our world for years but one of the things, you know, that we really saw was how much acute stress it put on people under, how much burnout people experienced, how much stress. There were also a lot of great things about it, you know, not to minimize like, right. So a lot of people experienced both, but coming out of that, there seems to be this hyper awareness on, I want to make sure that the work I'm doing is meaningful. I don't want to just do things to do. Like, I don't want to just show up at an office because I'm supposed to. Um, and I personally have noticed now that people are allowed to talk about being burnt out, um, we are. And I think the more that we talk about it, a lot of times what I notice is people who have maybe experienced that, they never want to go back. And so it can cause you, you know, to... I believe in what I observe, it can cause people to just be very wary of bringing intensity 
you know, or bringing that energy of intensity, that urgency and immediacy that can, you know, it's, it's almost like if you have an addiction to something and you just kind of need to go, you just can't have it at all. Like you just can't have any alcohol. Yeah. There's no amount of, and I think some people, they don't, that relationship to urgency and immediacy and bringing a level of intensity, they haven't developed a really good relationship. So it's all or nothing. And that's where I think it happens. The challenge of course, is that when you're an entrepreneur, you are, and until you have product market fit, um, you, your energy fuels a ton of your business until you get it to the place where it can hold you as well. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I, that's why I, I feel that there's a lot of fear around the urgency and immediacy that's required. And I think, you know, a lot of times people will market living a life of ease and abundance. And I know a lot of those people, and I know that that's not their life they live. Mm, I'm so glad you just said that because I think a lot of people, especially who listen to this, a lot of the entrepreneurs out there who are maybe just getting started and Hey man, full disclosure, I fell into this years ago too. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to work two hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But I, and you can be broke too. Yeah. Like, right. Fill your boots. Yeah. You have to, we have to be doing the things to get the money coming in yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. People have this, I've noticed, and I've observed, especially women have this weird thing about talking about money. Yeah. They get super weird about it. They don't want to talk about how much they want to make. They, it's very hard for them to give themselves permission to want more for themselves. Yes. And they get caught in that trap of like, well, I don't want to burn out. I'm just going to take things easy. I'm just going to let it go for the, like, go with the flow. And it trips them up. And you said something on one of your podcasts that I loved, which was about um, people needing to develop the skill set to be able to do the hard better. Yes. Versus like just wishing for things to be easier. And I, that hit me. I was like, oh, yes. What what is that? What does it look like? Yeah. So I mean, and I think it's going to be, yeah, so it is, I think, you know, if you want to create something that's sustainable, you know, um, something that, that is truly sustainable, um, it, I do believe a foundational skill is the ability to do hard things better. So I think there's a couple of things. So number one is the ability to remain calm. Like (laughs) nobody likes being told to calm down, but you know, like, can you find that calm place and be the observer of the situation? Can you find the calm place and be like, oh man, you know what? I'm going through a cash flow crunch in my business right now. And, or man, you know, I hired some employees and I have payroll coming and I'm not actually sure how I'm going to meet it. You know, and, and through all of those situations, that ability to really remain calm to do your breath work, to do whatever it is that you do, but to be able to remain calm so that you can access the part of your brain that is creative, that is a problem solver. You know, I think, so that's like, that's skill set number one that I think is really critical. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's other skill sets. For example, if we are looking potentially at entrepreneurship, you know, 
I took this for granted. So I'll, I'll tell you a little story. So the first, when I very first started my business, I decided I was going to not be employed as a journalist, but I was going to come up with story ideas. I was going to freelance. So I was going to come up with story ideas, pitch them to editors, and they would pay me to write the article or to produce the documentary. So that's where I started. So essentially what that meant is my ability to feed myself was based on my ability to come up with an idea, i.e. an offer, make sure it was lined up with um, a magazine, that it was a good story for them, i.e. align your offer and your message to your customer, and then pitch them that idea in a compelling way and follow up, i.e. sell. So what I developed was this hardcore ability to sell, mm. right? And it is it is massively important for entrepreneurs to be able to do this. I, it's just really important. Like if you're maybe a plumber or if you have like companies where it's a pain, like people 100% need you. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, like very often, typically when you need a plumber, you are going to call the plumber and it's like, whatever it costs, it costs. Right. Okay. But for most entrepreneurs who are listening, that's probably not the situation that they're in. So they need to be able to cultivate really strong sales skills. Well, Honestly, for most entrepreneurs, if you just spent 30 minutes a day doing strong targeted sales outreach, you would flip your business in 90 days. Mm. You know, like it would just create such, it's that 90 minutes of grit. Can you apply base of pants to seat of chair? Do Can you do some really targeted, effective outreach? Can you put yourself out there? Can you take no's for an answer? Can you handle being ignored um, for just 30 minutes? You know, this is another great lead in because I feel like this is how you develop. You have the jewel, you help women create jewel businesses and it's based on the 30, 30, 30 model of growth. Yes. And you have the jewel business school where you teach people how to sell Yes, have an amazing freebie about, and I'm going to link to all of this stuff, an amazing freebie about how to sell with stories, like the science of it. Yes. I love this. Can we talk a bit more about these dual businesses and this? 30, yeah. 30 model? So like this came through like so many, uh, so much of my best work is driven by indignation. <laughs> like the feeling of being <laughs> indignant about something. I'm sensitive <laughs> AF, by the way. <laughs> so like, so I'm always looking for ways to target that. So um, several years ago, I was, and I'd been business coaching. Like I, I was actively, you know, coaching, coaching entrepreneur, women entrepreneurs at the time. And I was really looking at, um, developing software, software as a, software as a service solution. You know, I was just seeing what was happening with tech founders that I knew. And I was like, why not me? So I really went down that road. And at the time, like, you know, I always just do a ton of research when I'm trying I just talk to people. So I went to a number of different conferences that were for tech founders. And I can remember going to this conference and the room, you know, was filled with founders of technology companies, some of whom were doing really well, some of whom hadn't sold anything ever, but regardless had um, received a bunch of venture capital funding. Now I've been on the board of venture capital organizations. I understand how it works. We're always looking for what's, what's a technology that's going to make a difference that could really scale quickly. You put a bunch of money into it and you're hoping that some of them become unicorns, like, which is a company that has a billion dollar valuation, Mm -hmm. but a lot of your bets, most of them will not pay off. 
And many of those founders will just shut down the business as having never generated revenue and go back into the ecosystem to start new companies or to go and work. So it's, it's, this, it's a really good ecosystem, right? I had a lot of respect for it, but I remember being at that conference and then I would, they would ask me what I did and I would tell them about my business. And like, I was doing probably like half a million in revenue at the time. It was a really good business. I was really proud of it. I could see their eyes just glaze over. And they're like, oh, that's like a lifestyle business. And then my competitive side was like, oh, sir, au contraire. And I could outsell you. Like if you put our businesses toe to toe, I would like knock you out. It was so fun. This was like my, this was, this is the sensitive part, but I was like very frustrated. And I was looking at these mostly guys and seeing how filled with purpose they were to be building a unicorn business, even though their current reality was they had tons of funding, they weren't meeting their milestones and they, they may or may not have a business, you know, in six months, I knew I would have a business. I was generating really good revenue. It was very profitable. I knew I would have a business in six months. And somehow I was the one who had a lifestyle business. They were building the next great unicorn. So the power of language, right? Because like when people call, when people from tech call your business a lifestyle business, it's like when people from the South say, bless your heart. Yeah. It's not, not right. They're making fun bless of you. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Like that's not a nice thing. So that's why I was like, I started really doing a bunch of research with women entrepreneurs about what motivated them in business, what drove them, what were the outcomes that they were looking for. And time and again, we are looking for money. We are looking for time and freedom, and we're looking for impact. So cash, influence, you know, the ability to have our ideas heard and acted upon and autonomy, freedom. And so um, I was thinking about what's a way, like what is a good model that allows for that to happen? You know, in, in unicorn type of businesses, you're going for such rapid growth. It will it ruined, like, it's very challenging. It's extremely chaotic and stressful, which is one of the reasons that a lot of women don't want to do it. Mm. And that's where the jewel business emerged, like 30% year over year growth until such time as a founder wants to accelerate or decelerate that growth. It's ambitious. It's a determined level of growth, but it's not like you're not looking to 10X everything all the time. 30% profitability allows you to fuel growth with internally generated cash flow or take that cash, pump it into a holding company to grow your net worth. And then 30% open time is that ability to have that time to think, to be rested before the weekend starts, you know? And so that's where that model came from. And now everything that we do is built around creating these, creating a business that can offer this. Mm. And I know that you walk the walk because I watch, I watch you on Instagram. That always sounds so creepy to me. <laughs> I watch people too. It's fascinating. It is. But like, people I are interesting stories. You're in Listen. the gym, you're going to nature walks. Totally. Like, you're 100%. walking the walk. So walking the walk. Yeah. That's also what I loved. I'm like, oh, she's actually, she's a super successful businesswoman. She's helping these other women and she's actually doing what she teaches. Yes. For me is super important. What do you think like for somebody who's just starting their journey into entrepreneurship? Yes. What advice would you give them 
because I mean, a lot of people just want to dive in and, you know, do that. Yeah. I'm only working two hours a day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what, what advice would you give people just starting? Yeah. I think the uh, thing that I would give just starting, um, there's kind of two pieces to this. So number one is it's all about knowing your customers, you know, and I think, I think that is just, we have this sort of mantra inside my company and I'm a creator, so I like to create things. So this was really hard for me, but we have a little reminder sometimes, which is this um, saying that we have, which is there's no good ideas. And there actually are lots of good ideas, but what we try to do is to make sure that the things that we do inside our company are driven by customers. Um, because uh, what I see so many entrepreneurs doing is maybe you had a career in human resources consulting, um, and then you decide that you want to become a life coach. And you have a vision of the type of coaching that you want to do. Often, you know, something happened to you in your life and it was really meaningful. Like you learned about somatic healing. Let's just say something like that. And um, so you start a, a business as a life coach, as a somatic healer. But the challenge is that um, a lot of people don't know what that is. They don't know. So you started a business based around what you wanted to do, which is, by the way, is awesome. But maybe you didn't do the research to really understand how your customers would look at that and the specific reasons that a customer would have to engage in a service like that. So I think that's like, and what people don't understand is that, you know, Pinterest, LinkedIn, like the biggest and most valuable companies that we know are obsessed with their customers. That's where, you know, the, people get mad at things like Facebook and Instagram. All of these companies are doing are just harvesting tons of data points to understand their customers better and try to create experiences for us that keep us on their platform. So there's lots of bad things about that, but I want people hearing to really understand it's a discipline. It's called user research and you want to, your life will be so much easier. So that's like the first part, like, who do you want to sell to and talk to them, talk to them constantly. Like I talk to customers and prospective customers constantly because it really allows me, I, you know, to understand and connect with where they are. Cause it's like for me and just like for you, we, we are, okay. We're we really good at what we do. Okay. And so, so, so the problem with that is that over time we lose connection we're no longer the person we used to be. So we can't connect to our customers in the same way, you know? And like, I don't remember what it's like to struggle about things that my customers struggle with. I struggle with other things. So this discipline of always coming back, really understanding what your customers want, what they need, where they're struggling, what they would love to have more of. I think that's really key. And honestly, learning how to sell. Like I see so many entrepreneurs stepping over so much opportunity and money because, you know, spending way too much time marketing, spending way too much time doing these things when they could probably cut that in half if they really understood how to sell effectively. Um, I think that's just really important too. Those are the two things that I would say for new entrepreneurs just starting out. It's so important. The selling piece is one of, I would say with a lot of the women who come to work with me, they are afraid of being seen 
Yeah. And so they're afraid to put themselves out there because they're afraid, well, what are people going to think? What's going to happen? Yes. And then the ones who are going to the next level, they're afraid of being seen on a bigger scale. So it's like onions. We clear one layer of stuff and then there's always going to be another layer, new level, new devil. But it's very interesting to me that that seems to be the biggest thing that women are afraid of, which Mm -hmm. leads me to my next question for you. Because I've heard you talking about how we need to make space to be able to grow Mm. and how this overwhelm epidemic, like the antidote to this overwhelm is space. Yeah. I was like, huh, what, what does creating space look like? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this question so much because it's so practical you know, like, it's just, it's so practical and it's so accessible. Yeah. Like, you know, I can remember being a kid and, um, growing, like I'm six feet tall and I just grew like a weed at certain times in my life. And I think it was like between the age of like, you know, nine and 10, I grew like three shoe sizes, Mm. but my parents didn't realize how quickly my feet were growing, you know, and I didn't either that my, you know, like my, my toes just started getting cramped up. my, in my shoes. Right. So, um, the nature, you know, if you think about like, if you want to have a good apple orchard or a beautiful rose bush or a beautiful lilac bush, you need to prune because the nature of life is to produce too much. Mm-hmm. That's just the order of the universe, right? Like apple trees will grow so much that, that it actually impedes their ability to produce fruit. So you got to prune them back a little bit. Um, that's the nature, that's the order of nature. And so the same is true for us. Like, um, we have more dreams, more goals, more projects, more desires, than we actually physically are able to do. And that's the difference between what can happen at the at the sort of invisible realm of dreams and goals and what can happen in the physical realm of actually being able to implement where we are absolutely limited by time space. We have finite resources, but we have infinite access to goals and visions and all of this. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's like the classic challenge of the ambitious person, like you and I, and many of the folks who are listening, we're living in this constant state where the things that we want exceed what we can actually bring to bear So that's where I think that the practice of creating space so that we can really ask ourselves, okay, what do I want now? Where are the loops that I need to close? Like the things that I just need to, the, 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 yeah, the open loops that have to be closed. So my brain can stop thinking about them. So I can really be available to the things that are most important to me right now. And space is important. So if you're really overwhelmed and I have been, and every year I'll go through a phase where I'll, I'll just want to really do this. One very practical thing is to start decluttering. It's like very simple and practical, but declutter your closet, declutter a drawer, declutter part of your office, declutter your garage. Like last summer, honestly, my, my vacation was to take 10 days and declutter my garage. And I remember a friend being like, why don't you hire someone to do that? I'm like, no, because like, it's my stuff. And this is part of it. It's letting things go. It's closing loops. Like this is, so I think that is really key. So one is the habit of decluttering. It's a very physical habit. The second habit I would say is 
to create daily rituals, which are containers of space that allow you to check in with yourself. Mm. So, right, like any ambitious woman who has a goal and goals and a mission and a vision, the challenge is that we often invite into our life a lot of change and growth. And that can feel so unsafe. I think, you know, we were talking about the women who they feel unsafe being seen by so many people. I've had that mm-hmm. and I had to, and it crippled me for a while, you know, and I had to learn this practice. Like parts of me loved what was happening and parts of me, like, it was like my inner 10 year old, like gold star student who felt like the more people that came into my world now there's the more people I need to win over and impress the more people I need to over deliver for. Cause I'm not good enough, you know? So it, I had to, st- and she doesn't go away. Like that 10 year old is always with me. She's amazing. She's got tons of energy and is creative and extraordinary. But if I'm tired and overwhelmed, then she, her worried part starts to take over, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a practice of having daily space to have a conversation with yourselves to check in and say, Hey, so we're going through some periods of growth. I'm we're, we're taking on a lot of new things. How's everybody doing? Yeah. It's literally what I asked myself. Yeah. And it opens up such rich conversation. I love that you just said that. Cause part of what I do a lot is I'm helping people integrate all of the parts of themselves. <sighs> We're not trying to kill parts of ourselves off. We need to integrate them. It's us. That's how we become whole. And the thing is, right? Like what you're talking about, I just want everyone to understand. Everybody has to do this. Like if you're listening to Brenda's podcast and you haven't actually worked with, like you can listen to us, but there's nothing like being guided through exactly how to do it by a teacher. That's what I did. And it was a year and a half. It was a significant investment and it was really powerful. Like I can't even, it, it, um, it changed me, you know? So I just really like this wholeness practice to make space for all of you and not to like overcoach yourself. Like, oh, that's a limiting thought. No, it's not. It's actually you sharing that part of you feels unsafe. That's not a limiting thought. Like don't, (laughs) so I just want to really acknowledge that because Sometimes people can listen to these podcasts. I'm like, look, listen, make the investment seriously. Like the the, give yourself this gift. You're so worth it. And your life will change when you accept yourself and you have a practice of wholeness. I feel so passionate about it. Same. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah. And it can be scary to make that investment. Anytime I've invested in high level, next level coaching, it's scary, man. And it doesn't feel safe. And it's like, well, what if it doesn't work? Yeah. Sometimes you look at it. And one of the number one reasons people sometimes don't want to work with me is not because they're afraid it's not going to work. They're afraid it is going to work and it's going to change everything. And it might, might. (laughs) but it's so much more fun over here. It is so much more fun over (laughs) here. So when it comes to you, like, how do you approach the risk-taking in your Mm. business decisions and in your life? Like, how do you? Yes. Mm. Oh my gosh. That's such a great question. You know, um, 
I think the way the 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 way that I think about it, and it's interesting, like there's some categories of things, like if it's business education, you know what I mean, or sales training. I'm like, it's not a problem. If where I um, am a little slower are things like, for instance, I have a health coach and um, that was a little bit harder um, working on wholeness. That took me a little bit longer, not anymore, but it did at the time because what it requires a woman to do is it requires the woman, when we make that investment, what we're essentially saying is I am worth it in and of myself. Because sometimes we, when we invest in things like sales coaching, oh, this is going to help me make more money so that I can be even, you know, and, and it's like, it it's all about what we can produce. Yeah. Whereas this is about who we are, you know, and that, um, and it's funny. And it was, for me, it was knowing what I know about what patriarchal conditioning does to women and how it basically just sets us up to be less than mm-hmm. and how that decision to invest in yourself for yourself, not so that you can produce more. And those things are, will all be true by the way. Um, you know, so for me, that was, it was, it felt to me like this move of healthy rebellion because I was so tired of feeling like, you know, I was just worth what I produced, Mm. you know, versus just really being inherently worthy, you know, which is what wholeness is, what it's a practice that allows you to do that. So for me now, I think about things like this, like I'm pretty straight up. I can tell people who've invested a lot in their development because they're very valuable Mm-hmm. You know, we're all inherently worthy and we're all equal in that way. But some people in your life, they just bring huge value. And we don't like to say that. We don't like to, but it's true. You can, you can spot it a mile away. I'm like, oh, here's a person who, who's really invested, who's had the privilege and resources and assets, but they've done it. You know, like I can remember taking out a line of credit on my house to invest in, um, you know, just investing again and again. And each time it made me, it increased my value, even though we're all inherently valuable, but I became more valuable and that, you know, it's, 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 it's both end, right? We're all inherently valuable and worthy. And yet when we invest in ourselves, we're able to unlock more of that pre-existing value. I think that's what it is. We're able to unlock a lot more of it. You can feel it when you're around someone And so to me, it's kind of like a muscle. Mm -hmm. You just have to keep showing up and keep doing it for yourself. That's how I look at it now. Oh yeah. Same. And it's, we get to decide our value. Nobody else gets to tell us what our value is. And I think that's a really hard thing to Mm -hmm. step into and to fully believe and have faith. Yes. And in the beginning, I mean, I was a cheap ass. I was afraid to. Mm -hmm make the big investments. I would hear about people taking lines of credit out or maxing yeah. out their credit cards. And I was afraid to do that until I yeah. actually did it. Yeah. And it changed my life. And yes. I, I will continue to do that. Yeah. It's like, okay, I want to make some moves. I want to grow. I can't see my own blind spots. I want to learn from people like you, for example, who are ahead of me 
Yeah. Because it's way easier when you do it's that. It's so easier. <laughs> it's so much easier. Like just, you know what I mean? The, the shortcuts, like make new mistakes. Why make the, you know, why make the ones that are just easy to avoid? I want to share something like, so this was back in the day when I had my consulting business. And so I told you that like I was one of the top paid ghostwriters in this country. And it was really fun because basically, you know, who hires ghostwriters, really successful people who, who have book deals and don't have the time to write, to write a book. So it was absolutely wonderful. I spent, I had access to just these, these extraordinary people, but I did one with this woman who was just a truly, truly exceptional businesswoman and business leader, you know, order of Canada and all that good stuff. And I can remember asking her, because this was at this time, I was starting slowly to invest in myself. And I said to her, when you make a decision about investing in something for a business that you're running, that is going to generate value over time, like how long do you give your investments before you expect to start seeing a return? Such a good question. You know, and she was like, you got to give it some time. I usually, you know, I'm looking for around 18 months. And that was really interesting. And again, yes, immediacy and urgency are important. And you want to like often, you know, when you have investments, you're going to start to have quick wins that you can see immediately and recognize those quick wins. But what I have found is that often it's the compounding effect of, of implementing what you're learning consistently over time it takes time for things to pay off. And that helps me mitigate the risk. So powerful. This whole episode is so powerful, but that, that alone, like looking at it going, you know, I typically look for about 18 months because as humans, we love instant gratification. Totally. And I think that's what gets a lot of people in the weeds is that they invest in growth things they don't see immediate changes or like big enough ones. And then, oh, well, it didn't work. And you know, exactly. And I, what's so fascinating to me is I started to understand this in a new way when on my podcast, Anchored Intelligence, I had this woman who was, and I was like, this is might be the geekiest episode I've ever done, but I'm so obsessed with this woman and her work. So she's basically like a world expert in numeracy, like understanding numbers and um, people are not very numerate. We're not. And in fact, COVID created a whole generation of kids who have, because of all of the school that they missed, the, the world saw one of the biggest recorded drops in numeracy among kids ages 14 to 18. So it's, it's huge, right? But one of the reasons that it's hard for us to really understand ROI is because with numeracy, we're often especially bad at calculating compounding. You know what I mean? At the impact of things over time, we often really negate that and don't understand it, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, like it was interesting, you know, I can remember talking to, and, and it works. So we, so that causes us not to see the wins sh short-term. Like I was working with a client who, when she, she was at around six figures and then um, through, we were working together and um, she was going through a really hard time. She was, she was just, and if you talked to her, you would have thought that everything was going to fall apart 
essentially the way that she was painting the picture was that she was a big loser who was about to go bankrupt. And, um, so we started looking at, I always just go to the math. It's just very helpful quickly. And so we went to the math and lo and behold, she basically went from like about 150 to about 350 in a year. And 350 is actually a hard place to be. (laughs) It's a very challenging level of growth because you're making money you, um, and usually you don't quite have the level of support that you actually need. You know what I mean? So like, and I can remember that I had like really junior support people who were amazing, but they're just, you know, you still like, you're gonna, so it's a notoriously challenging, harrowing part in business to get through. And that's where she was at. But ultimately she basically doubled her revenue in a year. Mm. And I was like, dude, you know, but, but couldn't recognize it, couldn't see it, couldn't recognize it because she was in pain because you know what growth is uncomfortable. So, so it's so uncomfortable. And so numeracy impacts how we look at the reality of our lives. And so we're left to deal just with how it feels like versus actually taking a look at at using another lens because what it feels like is certainly important but using another lens to understand so when we looked at the numbers it's like oh well actually logically something is happening here this is a classic notorious hurdle and we need to start taking a look at this that we need to take a look at pricing so you have the profits to be able to bring in the people that you need it was a very logical thing but in her mind it felt like you know, so, so numeracy skills, I think really impact people a lot in terms of how we look at our experience, how the stories we tell ourselves about what we're going through, um, and how we make decisions to improve our situation now and in the future. Mm-hmm. So I actually listened to that episode. Did you? I really liked it. Show us some fun. He was amazing. At first she I was like, amazing. I don't know. I don't know about this. I know. I started listening. <laughs> I know. And then she was talking about him like, it makes so much sense because I do a lot of work around money mindset and like healing money wounds and our yeah. stories. And I remember she was talking about this woman and there was like a basic um, form or something. And she had yeah. it out and she gave it to her and then left and then came back and the woman was crying Yes, because she could, she her numeracy skills weren't there and she was extremely overwhelmed. And I was like, this is what happens with so many people. People are afraid to look at their bank accounts. Yeah. Afraid to look at where the money is coming and going. It's like any other relationship. You have to have a relationship with your money. Would you like have a partner and not care where they were coming or going? Like, no, it's the same. No, I, I air tags in all of his clothes. (laughs) Okay. Well, don't you? No. Oh, okay. Maybe I should keep it to myself. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But it's like that episode was really eye-opening for me. And I was like, oh, this is this is validation around yes. the whole money story thing. Because yes. So many of us are afraid of our money. Yes. You know what I mean? And like, and like lack the sort of those leadership skills, those inner leadership skills, and then the numeracy skills. And when you put both of those together, it's, it's a cocktail, man. Like it's 
really tough. And, and again, I think it's why these things like the work that you do is so important. And, and it's just, it becomes, it becomes the ceiling, you know, like if you don't have the skills, it becomes the ceiling that you can't actually break through. Um, and I see it all the time and you'll come up with all kinds of reasons, but yeah. Including sometimes we manifest physical symptoms. Like we make ourselves sick mm-hmm. or we do things. Oh my God. Did I tell you, I lost my whole voice at a, at a three-day event where, where I was basically going to be selling hundreds of thousands of dollars. I, I 100% lost my voice. I was not sick at all. Like you, oh God. Oh yeah. We could just go down that road forever. It was crazy. I love that though. That like, I don't love that that happened. Yeah. But like makes a good story now. Right. But also I love that somebody at your level still sometimes manifests things where it's like, Oh, I'm afraid. Like my voice isn't, I'm there's a thing there. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And I remember hearing this. Um, I remember hearing about women and voice Um, you probably are like, oh yeah, well, you know, what's interesting, like, even when you look at, uh, women in power in, when you look at, you know, um, in Roman Greek and Roman, you know, uh, culture and artworks from antiquity and myths, there's so many legends in which women who dared to speak out had their tongues ripped out or cut out or literally silenced. And so I think for women, our voice is a huge source of our power. And so when I've absolutely, I've 100% lost my voice and I can hear it in me when I'm not coming from a place of power, I can feel my voice get scratchy, you know? So yeah, that's, it's, that's fascinating. Yeah. And that goes back to energy. Like we have all of these energy centers inside of ourselves. And if we're not tuned in to our power center, it affects our throat it affects how we speak and this goes back to the taking up space thing but like the opposite side of it we need to learn like when we are in our power we take up more space and it's beautiful when you feel safe to take up more space you also said something in that podcast that blew my mind you were like as women we're always taught to be smaller but then you said think about it. We're told to lose weight. There's Spanx. There's, I was like, huh, that's yeah. interesting. Cause you don't equate that. Right. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. Like women are, yeah, there's, it's, there's a ton of conditioning around being smaller. Mm. Just be small, yeah. you know? And, uh, and it's, yeah, exactly. Shh. Shh. And it's especially it- true. Yeah. You just, just, just be quiet. <laughs> especially in corporate. Like I remember being around the executives. I mean, our CEO at the time was a woman, but everybody else around the table were men. Yeah. We used to joke that it was the old boys club. Mm. The only thing was it wasn't really a joke. It was true. Yes. And so that's why I love, and even looking back and I was thinking about this the other day and having a conversation, I look back on the movies I used to watch in like the eighties and nineties, more so than nineties. And I loved the movies where there were like powerful business men, <laughs> powerful business men doing the things, yes. making the money, driving the nice cars, living the life. And I was like, where, where were all the movies with the women? 
Yeah. Like what, (laughs) what the hell? Yes. Yes. And I think that kind of, I'm the same, I get annoyed by things. And so I think that is part of what contributed to my drivenness through my life is like, well, if they can do it, so can I. Yes. It's possible. Yeah. Possible for me. Yeah, totally. Seeing it to be it. So that's why when I heard your mission, I was like, yes, Mm. (laughs) I loved that. I'm going to be linking all of your stuff up. I'm going to link to your ultimate guide to imposter syndrome, your podcast, the sales page for your dual business stuff, your Mm. science of attention, is there, where's the best place for people to hang out with you? Um, I would say Instagram. I love to, I, I'm pretty chatty on Instagram. <laughs> so it's like a good place. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun place to get to know people like to see. Right. I, I, I just, I do enjoy that. Like that, the ability to just kind of connect with people just to check out what they're doing, you know, watching their stories and stuff. I really do like it. Yeah. I love it too. And before I let yes. you know, I have one more question for you. And this oh, is yes. I ask all my guests. What sure. does live a, what does living a limitless life mean to you? Oh my gosh. I think it's really creating the space, the challenges, the goals, the stimulation to really allow my soul to unfurl Mm. you know like she's there and I feel like a big part of our path here on earth is to let that element of who we are just unfurl and become you know what I mean and so (laughs) it's like the challenges that we step into the relationships that we have the experiences that we let ourselves or create for ourselves they all just keep allowing more of her to unfurl and I feel like that's what a limitless life is to just allow that unfurling to happen day after day week after week year Mm -hmm. after year I love that thank you so much for spending time with me today I know you're busy and I really appreciate that this conversation has been next level like I it was so awesome appreciative of this so thank you so much thank you (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.